Welcome to season two of the SCMRC Lead Podcast, featuring epic supply chain lessons from our industry partners. My name is Donnie Williams, and I am the Executive Director of the Supply Chain Management Research Center in the Walton College at the University of Arkansas. Season two of the podcast will be hosted by Mike Grain. Mike is the Director of the Retail Supply Chain Initiative, and this is a strategic partnership within the SEMRC. The goal of this initiative is to surface the challenges and opportunities of on-shelf availability, or OSA, focusing on the concepts, tools, and technologies driving retail OSA. Season two will feature a dynamic guest list of retailers, CPG suppliers, solution providers, and industry leaders to drive collaborative efforts and advance learning within the industry. Thank you for joining and enjoy the podcast. I'm extremely excited to spend some time with my good friend, Andy Murray. Andy and I worked together starting in Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati in the IT function in the early 80s. Both of us transitioned eventually to the Walmart Global Customer Team in Northwest Arkansas, where we both worked technology and analytics functions for the team. In 1993, Andy had a vision that he wanted to change career paths and fundamentally change his direction on his career. Marketing was always his passion. He is an entrepreneur at heart. So he left Procter & Gamble and started his marketing journey with companies like Daysprings, Brandworks, Thompson Murray, and and, and even ran as a CEO of Saatchi & Saatchi X. In 2013, he decided to join Walmart, which was a great move from him, became the Senior Vice President of Marketing for Walmart, and then moved over to the United Kingdom where he was the CMO for the Asda Corporation. He's now left Walmart. He's running his own organization. He's very, very interested in helping customers and making a customer-centric environment. He also has uh, an affiliation with the University of Arkansas, and him and I work quite well together in that capacity. Andy, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, it's a real honor to talk about this, especially with you, since our combined past have overlapped for so many years. And it's great to compare notes, talking shorthand at times. So uh, catch, call me out if I'm uh, using acronyms that only you and I know from our shared background. You got it. You got it. Uh, before we get too much farther, I want to introduce uh, Pierce to us. Pierce is actually a University of Arkansas Business School supply chain major. Um, Andy, I've taken your lead and your suggestion to, to really integrate the students from the supply chain organization as part of every one of the podcasts that we do. Uh, so, Pierce, why don't you go ahead and unmute and kind of introduce yourself, give us a little background uh, about yourself. Yep. So uh, I'm a junior at the Wallen College of Business. I'm pursuing a degree in supply chain. And uh, I've been around uh, warehouses and semi-trucks as long as I can remember. My dad's in that industry. So uh, I'm excited to sit down and talk with you guys today and see what insights you have to offer. Awesome. Welcome aboard. And if there's any questions you have, I'm going to I'm going to just let you know up front. I'm going to put you on the spot at some point in time during this and and have you ask a question of Andy. But if you have any questions along the way or any comments that you want to make, we want to make this sure this this is very interactive. So so feel yes, free to, to come on and do that. Yes, sir. So, so, so Andy, you've had a very interesting career, as I've kind of shared with you in your in your bio, and uh, you, you sort of run the balance between 
IT, uh, probably a little bit of supply chain because best what technology and supply chain really kind of work really, really close together. And then you made a big leap over to the customer and the customer journey side, which is marketing and, and uh, customer journey kinds of things. Before we get in too far into this, I always like to make this really, really personal. Because I had an experience, and I and I showed this with Pierce the other day, where I went into a Walmart store. They told me they had a printer cartridge for my printer. I drove all the way to Walmart, walked in, and they had thousand printer cartridges, but the one I had, they didn't have available. And it's not like I could switch to another one. It was a very aggravating experience. So I ended up walk, you know driving over to Best Buy. Unfortunately, they had one, but. Everybody has a customer story, even though we're in this this particular profession. Have you had a personal situation where you ran into a, you went to get something in the store, you were fairly sure they had it, and they ended up disappointing you? And tell us about that story, and you know what did you do about that? Well, sure. Yeah. Boy, I tell you, um, I, I'll tell you one story. I was in Asta in the UK, and um, I, I we had substitutions. I'd been in the store uh, earlier time and had walked the store for certain things, and I, I knew they pretty much carried certain items. And, you know, being an American in the UK, you, you, it's, it's really kind of confusing to shop uh, a store like that where the foods were called different things, you know, meats or classified in joints. And I thought joints were something that were sold in these uh, dispensaries or something, I, you know, not. And so, so, you know, in, in any way, uh, we do a lot of grocery home shopping to test the system out and, and using that. And it's a great, fantastic grocery home shopping thing. But we were starting to get a lot of substitutions. And I'm like, wait a minute, I, I know they have these products. And, you know, it's just really frustrating. And so, um, as uh, as an experiment, um, you know, I got this order that was out of stocks on on it in the grocery home delivery, and so uh, the store. Uh, it's it's kind of sad. I was doing grocery home uh, shopping when the store was only like four blocks away, and so. Uh, but anyway, you know what what can you say? So I was busy, and I, I walked down to the store because I said I know they've got this stuff. This is crazy, and so I went down to the store. And I found most of the items. I thought, that's really strange. And so came back and I said, let's try something else. Let's take substitutions off and see what happens. And sure enough, took substitutions off and our order completion rate, pick rate, you know, fill rate accurate. It was like went through the roof. And I said, there's something going on here. Right. And so going back uh, into that store again with a different view to what, what could have caused that. Well, it appears all the product was there, but the store had had that weekend uh, several modulars modulars reset and they changed positions in a lot, a few of the items that we were out of stock on and moved and the order pickers were going fast and, you know, they didn't, they, they have routines too. We talk about customers not finding things. What happens when you reset? It feels like an out of stock. Um, and sure enough, you know, they'd been moved around a corner and was now on an end cap. And so from a picker standpoint, it's like you didn't have it. And but they did have it. And it was just the speed and the pick rates. They just, you know, missed it. And so that that turned into an insight really on how uh, even little things like a modular reset could affect customer experience, which that is part of the supply chain process. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great example. That's a great example. And, and just to build on that, since you sort of hit on the, the whole online ordering, et cetera, I mean, that wasn't available several years ago. Uh, the, what was available several years ago was you built your order at home, 
You got in your car, you drove to the car, you drove, walked up and down the aisles, you picked stuff up, you checked out or waited in line to be checked out. There was no self-checkouts at the time. Pierce, I'm dating myself a little bit. Hang on. So, um, And you came home with the product. Now right. we've got all these options. We got online grocery. We got you know, pure online players like Amazon. We've got integration of the difference of those. We have some retailers that expose their on hands in stores saying, I only have three. The other ones say, I'm out of stock when you could go to the store and you actually find them. So from a customer perspective, help us think through all, what are, what are the customers going through that customer journey of all those different ways that they can get their product and what is the implication of, from a supply chain perspective and on-shelf availability of that? Wow, that's a big question. Um, there's a lot of implications there. I think, uh, you know, if you start with the customer mindset and what they're trying to do, which is, you know, save, uh, the customers have three budgets. They've got a time budget, a money budget, and a frustration budget. And depending on the category you're shopping, if they don't find it in store wherever they're going in a certain amount of time, uh, you can exceed their frustration limit and they'll just walk out. They'll walk out of that aisle without buying anything because the maximum amount of time. So time has always been, you know, a real important component. And you look at what's happened with um, what, what we found, what I found uh, through the years is that if you look at a, uh, an aisle, and you try to understand uh, what they're coming in there for, uh, there are certain categories where, um, it, let's say razors, you're, you're coming in, a razor is a refill purchase. Mm -hmm. If you come in to buy the razors, but yet the merchant might want to sell you new systems. And so if you come in with um, razors on your list and you're gonna give 90 seconds to that, that experience and they make it harder to find the razors you're looking for, but easy to find new systems, you know, if you use up that time budget, you're out. But if you make the thing that usually is on the list in a refill type category, easy to find first, the customer will double back and give you browsing behavior uh, to spend a little bit more time there, might be more willing to do that. And many categories work that way. Ice cream's another example. You know, vanilla ice cream, most important, easiest refill type, that's a refill mindset that the customer comes into. But if you're stacking all the latest flavors of uh, innovation from Ben and Jerry's, you know, and you make vanilla hard to find, um, they're not in browsing mode until they accomplish the task and the buying mode. And that's one key insight that you've got to understand in terms of how customers interact with this space. And I think what's going to happen, what is happening is a lot of these essential categories because of COVID are now easy to find online and are quite comfortable with it. And so the concern I have and how that could play out is certain um, categories that are essentials are now pretty comfortable for the consumer to shop and buy online. Mm -hmm. And um, you're not going to get much browsing behavior in those categories. And so how do you get new items if you're a supplier with a new item and you want to get it in front of a customer if they're not browsing that that aisle? And so I think the most categories, uh, Mike, are, are really overranged and underchoiced. Right. And so when you can't really see differences in how a shelf set up, um, and it, it, you're just looking at a lot of range. You're not getting that. I think what's the unintended consequence of some of the things that's happened with COVID is you're going to have to have more choice clarity at shelf uh, so that it entices better browsing experiences. And most essential categories are not blocked in a way to really delineate the choices you have right. um, and how to make that a compelling experience. So I, I do think that could be 
a real challenge for getting new items in the store, but also certain categories, which is now just as easy to buy online. And it, it, it really has affected the customer experience. That's a great point. I had, I had a, uh, ahead, a question about the online shopping. So uh, as a customer, just purely from a customer standpoint, I myself have never used the Walmart online pickup or anything like that. Or It's really never occurred to me to even go online and shop for groceries. I've always been someone that just goes in the store and I find that to be the case with uh, most of my peers as well. And I was thinking, do you think that uh, maybe, I mean, since the older, like the older group of people may be a little more worried about COVID and things like that, and they may have now finally gotten comfortable uh, shopping on the internet. Do you think that you see more middle-aged people shopping online than you do um, younger people? Uh I, I can't say about the age demographics, but overall, total shopping has just gone through the roof. When when COVID hit, we hit a six-year type milestone in six weeks on our uh, grocery home shopping uh, uh, growth, and, and it just went crazy. And you know, you got people you know learning that and using it pretty pretty rapidly. So, um, from an age standpoint, I think more middle. Uh, middle-aged people are, are definitely definitely older people got more comfortable with it as we were kind of forced to and not just online shopping but um, many things like that you know qr codes that have been around forever a as a way to aid and interact mm -hmm. and yet uh, no one was doing qr codes but now the restaurant industry you know with menus because of covid qr code all of a sudden consumer adoption of qr code is, is a non-issue uh, yeah. and so i do think you know things like covid has changed the way we've adopted technology into our lives in ways that, you know, the older people are used to QR codes now because, you know, they've been forced to because of menus and restaurants and stuff like that, which they ends up being actually a beautiful thing. And so mm -hmm. it has helped, uh, I think, all age groups in some ways, but probably more older groups, uh, boomers and such adopt to technology much faster. Yes, sir. I definitely agree with that. I always see my dad, we would go to a restaurant and he had probably no idea what a QR code was before COVID. <laughs> now he'll whip out his phone, put up the camera to it, and he knows exactly what to do. He used to be like, please show me how to do this. And now he can fluently do it. So I definitely agree with what yep. you're saying. Well, and, That's great. And, and also, I mean, Andy said it really well to start off. You know, people have three budgets, right? They have a financial budget. They have a time budget and they have a frustration budget. I've never heard it put that way, Andy, but you're absolutely yeah. right. I think my perspective is people who didn't, who went into a grocery store and picked stuff off the shelf and went and checked out with it pre COVID and said, yeah, it's too fancy, et cetera. Well, once they did, they COVID pushed them into, I can't do that this way anyway. Now they've realized how much time they're saving and they value that. I don't see it slowing down. Now, I don't, I don't see, either. I don't see grocery stores ever going away. I think there's still no. going to be a need for a brick and mortar environment. So everybody who thinks Amazon's going to take over the world and all the retailers are going to go away, I don't believe that for a heartbeat. I think those retailers like Walmart who can leverage their brick and mortar platform because they are in such co close proximity with the customer, but offer people an online ex shopping experience are going to win because nobody yeah. wants to shop for paper towels. You're not shopping. You're stocking up your pantry. Now, if there's no. a new Xbox that showed up at Walmart, yeah, you're going to go check that out. That's cool. That's shopping to me. Putting product in a basket to replenish your pantry is not shopping, in my opinion, anyway. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and imagine, though, if you're a Scott's Paper Towels or Kimberly Clark, you know, who kind of count on new items to get noticed in a physical 
experience where you might browse and catch the eye of something like that, the, that that's becomes a much bigger challenge now, right? Because you're, you, it does make it easier just to stick with the choice, you know, great point. Let's do a little, let's do a little on the spot consumer. You, so Pierce, you don't shop online. That's fascinating. Yeah. What kind of, pa- I'm going to put you on the spot. What kind of paper towels do you buy for your, I'm assuming that's a dorm room or an apartment. What, what kind of paper towels do you buy? Yeah, I live in a house with uh, three other guys, okay. and I have to come right out and say I don't think I've ever personally went and bought the paper towels. <laughs> just to be honest, but if I were to buy them, I'd probably buy. I don't. I'm not sure. I'm. I, I don't know. But uh, I do. I do buy toilet paper and stuff like that. I always buy the one with okay, the hair on. Try it. toilet paper. Charmin. Try, okay, do toilet. I buy paper. Charmin every time. Okay, perfect. What if you go to the local Walmart store since you don't buy online and they don't have Char- Charmin on, on in stock? What are you going mm-hmm. to do? Are you going to switch to a different brand or are you going to leave your buggy and go to Harps? I'm probably just going to grab whatever's next to it. Perfect. Now, let me switch the scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit more personal. Do okay. you shave? Yeah. Okay. Do you use a razor? Yeah. Okay. What type of razor do you use? I use the Harry's razor. I think it's the cheapest one you can buy. So perfect. Um, Harry's is no longer in stock at the Walmart that you're at. You've already invested in that handle. Mm-hmm. All you're looking for is blades. Harry's, there are no more blades. What are you going to do? You're standing in front of the shelf. I'm probably going to pick a different razor. I, I'll probably just buy the starter kit of one or something, I guess, because I don't know. I'm not. I'm just not an online shopping for like the reef. No, I'm, like, as I'm, you ta- say, the I'm not talking about online. I'm talking about just brick and mortar. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm fr- just, okay. So I'm not going to go to. I'm probably not going to go to a whole different store just to get a razor because I probably have a cart full of my groceries. I'm probably just going to grab a grab a different razor. To be honest with you. And 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 the fact that you had to go from Charmin to a different brand does that make you angry or that's no big deal? It's. I probably wouldn't give too much thought to it, to be honest. Okay. How about but the switch? From, I think if it happened over and over again, and it just was never there again, okay. I may think. But yeah, I may think about switching. But the the WalMarts, especially with the neighborhood markets, are so close in proximity to almost everything. It's hard to escape them and make it's. It's hard to out convenience a Walmart neighborhood market if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So so the jump from the Harry's brand because now i have to buy a new handle all this stuff from gillette does that give mm-hmm. you a little more angst than the move from toilet paper um i i can't say it would i think okay. something that that would pro- like probably like drinks and snacks and stuff like that if they stopped carrying like I, I drink a lot of propel and i drink a lot of uh body armor so if they stopped carrying propel and body armor i might have to go to i'd probably move to go. a different store that did carry that so, so Andy, here's the question, and this is this is where I want to go back to you and have this discussion, because I believe auto stocks have a different perspective. Somebody's going to be the customer is always disappointed. They are going to have a frustration. I think there is a difference if it's who cares paper towel switch from one to another. I can tell you one thing: if my wife goes to the store and they don't have the dog food that we want. Yeah, she, she she ain't switching, right? We're not going to mess up our dog's digestive switch system. We will leave a cart with a bunch of frozen food and go somewhere else before we'll switch to another dog food. So, Andy, out of stocks as a retailer yeah. perspective, they play an important role. And do you? Do, how do we think about switching at brands versus switching retailers? I, I think um, first of all, it's a total. If you look at it as a total ecosystem, right? And you know, that's this this uh, podcast is bad news for Harry's. 
because, you know, so it's bad news for somebody on an out-of-stock basis, whether it's going to be, I'm going to switch retailers or switch brands, because look how easy you'll switch brands. And in, in if you're out of stock in your Harry's, um, that's a petrifying thought, right? So the out-of-stock pos position of who it hurts is going to hurt somebody. And it's going to hurt your brand uh, that thinks they're, they're they, the, Harry's just lost a customer, and so that's the power of out of stocks. If you've got a category like that, uh, Diet Coke, if you, if Walmart's out of Diet Coke, I'm switching, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else, you know, uh, because I'm not going to switch to diet Pepsi or something else. That's just yep. not, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Diapers, uh, the same way. I know our, our, my kids when they're buying diapers for their grandkids, they, they, there's a certain diapers that have certain effects on the skin. If they don't have it, that's the first place they'll go in the store. They're not, they're going to leave and get the rest of their groceries somewhere else because it's an expensive purchase and they're not going to switch. And so there, in that case, the retailer lost. Mm -hmm. And so either way you look at it, either the retailer is going to lose or the brand's going to lose uh, because the brand's losing loyalty because they've just made it easy to try out another brand uh, be, being out of stock or the retailers lost a customer. Right. Right. A great, great perspective. And the fact is you've had so many years in the industry and just like myself have worked for both, both the number one supplier Procter and Gamble in the world and the number one retailer in the world. You get to see both sides of that. That's right. You have situations where people look at that. If you're of, you've always been a retailer. Well, of course they'll switch to another brand that I've got. They, you know, that, that, no. that has put a hardship on the customer. And even if they do switch, just like Pierce, you mentioned, there's angst there. It's like, gosh, they're always on the, oh, oh, I wish they'd stop doing that. And and Sam Walton once said, you know, for every one customer that leaves or complains and leaves, seven leave and never come back. And they never yep. say anything, right? So that yep. is a huge, and I, that was sort of my next question. Andy, as you think about you know, exactly the customer metrics, it's really hard to measure. It's really easy to, to measure sales and profit and inventory levels and all those kind of key performance indicators. Customer satisfaction. Mm-hmm. How important is on-shelf availability and product in stock to the on, to, to the whole customer satisfaction score? Uh, it's hugely important. It's one of the top factors, and people don't understand that. Uh, it's, it's a major factor. And uh, we had asked, uh, when I came there, we did not have a customer promoter score. And it's different than a net promoter score. We created a customer promoter score using the till receipts and a survey system to allow us to do that. And we took a year to get the base data done. The next year, we put it in as a third of everybody's bonus in the whole company. Wow. And so it was profit sales and customer promoter score. That's how strongly we believed that it, it drove it. And key into uh, customer promoter score are going to be things like fast service, friendly, clean parking lots and all that. Availability is at the top. Uh, it, did you be able to find and get what you're looking for? And so out of stock can is sometimes more so the perception the retailer doesn't have it if you're doing a physical shop and it's in the they can't find it it's in a different place or they've changed the modular because you know people shop on, on routine and all of a sudden it's not there anymore it's somewhere else it should it might look in stock but from the customer's perception if it's out of stock it's out of stock and so i think that's the piece that we often overlook in terms of you know what that really means but on shelf availability is a major factor in uh, customer satisfaction. It ends up being a, um, it, it's a dissatisfier, not 
a promoter point because they expect you to have it, right? Right. So a dissatisfier is going to be out of stocks and dissatisfiers have a bigger impact on if they're going to come back. Great point. Great point. All right, Pierce, going to turn it over to you. You got a question for Andy? Make it a tough yes, one. Don't, don't take it easy. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think I, He's I, think I have based skin. on what I've I want to see, see beads of sweat coming down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I was doing my research a little bit before this, and you know, the class that uh, I met, um, I met Mike in, uh, is a delivery and uh, transportation class. Yeah, so yeah. I, I was thinking about delivery and transportation and stuff, and you know, I know there's a shortage of truck drivers, which has been going on for the past year or two. And uh, from just doing a little bit of research, I found that the industry needs somewhere around eighty thousand more truck drivers. Wow! And so obviously, this is driving up the price of cost per load. And uh, I was wondering, do you think that has anything to do with all of the out of stocks we're seeing and stuff like that? You know, maybe these these companies aren't willing to pay five thousand dollars for a truckload or something like that just a way too high of a price. And uh, do you think that's why we're seeing all of these out of stocks because the company's just, the the supply chain's not working well. There's not enough truck drivers, stuff's getting blocked up. Do you think that that's causing these out of stocks? A hundred percent. Some would tell you that that uh, driver shortages, um, I know from talking to a few suppliers that I work with, driver shortages are absolutely driving, <laughs> no pun intended, but mm-hmm. but they are the number one reason they're not, they're on shelf isn't there. Uh, the product's in there, but there's, there's no drivers and it's mm-hmm. a, it's got a huge effect on it. Uh, in some cases, um, a certain supplier, it's actually they do delivery direct to store delivery is they don't have enough trucks. They, the drivers aren't the shortage. It's because of the growth of online shopping and such, you know, delivery trucks, the chassis, all the things you use for tr- delivery is in shortage as well. And mm-hmm. so that supply chain issue is affecting the ability to get trucks even for drivers. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. it's got a it's got a massive effect on it um, in, in terms of the labor force. The other thing it has an effect on it is um, uh, store labor. It's hard to get. Many stores are running 20, 25% short on staff. Well, if you don't have staff, you can't stock the shelf. And uh, stocking the shelf is a major part of the store labor that, you know, is is making it hard to keep the shelf full. It could, it could, be, it could be absolutely be in the depot. It could be in the back room. But if it doesn't get from the back room to the shelf, you, you, you know, to the customer, it's out of stock. And yet, if you've got labor shortages at a store level, that can absolutely um, affect what you're seeing from an out of stock more than thinking it's um, we just, you know, it's there. It, there's just no product. Right. And so most people are seeing they have product. It's stuck in this whole supply chain logistics process. And I, and I just say, you know, supply chain logistics issues and how it affects the customer from being, you know, in a big retailer on the executive team, we would spend probably a good major portion, I'd say, of our time every Monday review of the weekend and such talking about transportation, logistics, shelf availability. Those are, That's the blocking and tackling of retail. And you'd be surprised of the, and Mike knows this, the million places it could go wrong and how hard it is to do, but also makes it very exciting because it's the place where innovation's occurring to make these better. Almost all the customer experience innovations in the last couple of years have been driven by supply chain logistics, uh, last mile delivery. Uh, we did a thing at Asta where um, if you got Grace Home Pick, if you're doing a pickup, uh, store pickup, you know, just add this little feature and it let us know when you left the house 
and it kind of gave us a, a notification when you turn that on we could go ahead and start picking your order ready you know to get it to the curb and cut the time down from like eight minute wait time to a minute or two right and that's an innovation from supply chain logistics that has a great customer service benefit so i think it's really underrated how supply chain logistics is driving innovation in customer experience that's where it's coming from yeah that's a andy that's a that's a great example um, I've got I've got two more quick follow up yeah. questions to that one. So retailers and, and not looking for specific numbers or any specific examples, but retailers costs at a store level. Most of it's in labor, right? That's right. I got to pay people to check customers out. I got to pay people to put product on the shelf. There's this whole new bucket of work, which is I got to pay people that take put stuff on the shelf to take it off the shelf to put it in a basket to deliver somebody's home. Somebody's paying for that. Where does yep. that come from? What are the implications from a profit perspective from a retailer? Should it be shared amongst the supplier community? How do, how do you think about that additional capability you're delivering for your, for your customer, which is a great capability, but the reality is in most cases, they don't have to pay for it. Where does that, where's that money coming from? It's, it's well, most online shopping is margin dilutive to the P and L, but it's, it's, it's one of the, it's a game you can't, you know, uh, be out of. And so the, the idea is you got to get in the game and then start to perfect and reduce your cost and optimize labor and do other things. But you know, that that's the danger point is that most of the time for most retailers, it's, it's, it's not as pro not near as profitable because you just said it's double handling and all that right now it's coming out of the macro P and L, but you're starting to see inventions where people are using more dark store space in the back to optimize the picking and making sure that you're not double moving it. Uh, what I have a question on is the more dark st store space you create to do optimized picking for pickers. So you're not double handling that. Um, what does that do to shelf presence for the shoppers that come in the store? Because the nice thing about grocery home shopping pickers picking from those shelves is they're seeing out of stocks real time. You, you, you basically are getting inventory adjustment information by them going up and down those aisles. But you take them out of those aisles and you put your priority in the back room. What happens to the um, to the accuracy and such when you don't have that happening? And um, I, I just wonder what kind of dynamics going to happen because you are the, every every retailer is trying to optimize to lower that cost that's there because it's a huge drain on the P and L from an e commerce side. Yeah, and, and and not only that, let's just be honest: on hand accuracy in a retail store is. Oh, Jeff or Pierce, we walked through these particular examples uh, in class yesterday. Fifty to sixty percent accuracy is not uncommon. No, I think I have product that I don't really have. So what you've really done is if I think I have 10 and I really have two, I've already got two places it could be. I could have it on the sales floor for a customer to buy. I could have it in the back room. Now I'm adding a third location. Well, if I can't keep track of it in two places, how am I going to keep track of it in three? So there's a there's an accuracy perspective. And, and what I find a lot of, especially online and Pierce, you'll you'll order online one day. <laughs> there's a lot of hiding of inventory that goes on online. You know, it says I have three, but I'm not going to expose that. I'm going to tell customers it's out of stock because I don't want to disappoint them. I'm hiding inventory from them. I am protecting myself from that customer frustration, but that's maybe a product that a customer really wants, and I yep. really have it. I couldn't order it online, but I walk in store and you got it. Well, there's another frustrating right. you know, part for the customer. Right. 
Wow. Yep. hundred percent. And I, I think, you know, I look at uh, data that we, we had is that, you know, stores had a healthier, higher percentage of grocery home shopping orders from that store will tend to have a higher online, a higher on-shelf availability uh, inventory accuracy numbers because they're aided by that extra volume of going up and down the shelves and, and, and correcting and fixing and doing that. And so there's a co- correlation would also probably be hold true that you take that away, it, it could probably be lower. Well, the measure of in-stock has always been measured by how much does the system say I have, and it's a fifth right. bigger than one, I have it in stock. But now right. I've got grocery pickers that are literally going to the aisle and go, here's one. I scan that item. I know I have that one. If it's not there, I'll scan the label. It's a nil pick. I know it's a so our pickers are actually the best metric for whether it's really on the shelf for our customer versus that's right. I think I have it, but it's plugged somewhere. It's behind five other products. It's in the back room. It gives a much better re- indication of whether it's really on the shelf or not. That's right. And so you can see the implication if you move that picking to a a part of a dark store environment, you know, you have the potential to drop that on hand uh, accuracy levels uh, in, in store for sure. Yeah. And there are some, there are, you know, we're, as part of these podcast series, we're going to, we're going to talk about some technology like algorithms and like robot shelf scanning robots that will help to automate those alerts for the store associates. But you're right. Nothing's as good as, an associate from that store picking the item going, I couldn't find it, and feeling, frankly, the frustration that customers have felt for a long time. So this is kind of... Uh, they, exactly. No, no, exactly. Great, great point. And that's where the omni-channel element of that makes the store better. Yeah. Uh, because there, those people are up and down the aisles and they're checking and helping with that product. So... Got it. Got it. Well, we're running kind of close on time. Okay. Pierce, Pierce, any other last questions you've got for Andy? No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, I think I'm good. Yeah, great questions. So the one question I have for you, Andy, is what should have we have asked you? What is the question that you we should have asked but we never did? Uh man, supply chain. Uh, where is innovation to be coming from? I, I think there's, uh, you know, what's driving innovation because I do think um, we've been optimizing a while in supply chain logistics, but I think this play it's it's ripe for innovation, and I think uh, you look at the innovation opportunities out there to continue to innovate and and take that wave. Of or you know the tailwind that COVID came to push supply chain logistics forward, uh, it's it's going to be a question you should ask. What do you see coming next? The good news is you didn't ask it, and the other piece of the good news is I have no idea. So, <laughs> <laughs> but here's the interesting part. While you may not know what's coming next from a supply chain perspective, if I had to go to one person in the industry right now to say what is the customer impact. And what do we need to make sure that customer is bad? I mean, Sam Walton said over and over, the customer is always right. Focus on the customer. The customer makes a choice every day about when they spend their money. They can spend their money with us or they can fire us tomorrow and go spend it at Harps. They have no problem with that at all. At the end of the day, we've got to have people who are out there staying very connected to our customers to make sure that we don't make such things such innovative and so functional and so reliable that we completely miss. We haven't done, in my opinion, move to an online uh, uh, pickup and delivery soon enough. 
I've, yeah. so, I've thought for 20 years that was a good idea. Nobody likes going to buy paper towels. Can't we figure out how to automate that? It's unfortunate that we're now moving that very fast, but we should have done that probably 10 or 15 years ago. So, well, Mike, can I respond to that? The reason yeah, I think that's true is because um, the way that business cases are made. And so you can make a business case very easily on store labor reduction, and that's a huge issue. And so anything that makes the process efficient, you're going to get funding on supply chain logistics innovations. And there's a lot of opportunity there on how trucks are unloaded in the back, you know, the, all the logistics of that. But when you start talking about how do you make the customer experience better, it's hard to find the case studies that show you the ROI of that. And you can go to finance and stack that up against uh, a labor reduction, right? Self-checkout is very easy to measure against how many cashiers you can change and do that. And so I just think the whole industry of, of supply chain logistics has been optimizing on savings. Yeah. Now you start talking about optimizing on new experiences for the customer. That's what's the hard bit is how do you get case study enough so that you could go with a business case that finance and sign off on. And, and I, I, you know, good, good on people that are, are think about this as an R&D budget with supply chain logistics because, you know, yeah, products have R&D budgets uh, to look at new brand development ideas. Well, what if there was an R&D budget for supply chain logistics that you could go test and learn on new ideas that actually change the game for the customer? Yeah, well, I thought I was going to close out this podcast, but I have I'm sorry. I'm just making your editing job harder. I have, no, I have one more question based upon that. Yep. Talk to me about seamless checkout. Amazon Go, just walk out technology. You all walk in, I scan a badge, I grab three things, I walk out and never talk to a customer or, or, or somebody checking me out. It's not a self-checkout process. That's extremely hard to do, and that's very, very expensive. Is that part of what's in the customer domain in the future? Is that something you see where we're going to go? Certain segments. Certain segments will respond to that and others will not. I mean, most stores have a really hard time going to 100% self-checkout. Uh, you know, so I think that's a real challenge. You know, uh, we had scan and go and it's got mixed results because of theft. And you look at what's happening with store theft today. You know, Walmart's an example backed away from scan and go, except for maybe now Walmart uh, plus customers. I'm not quite sure. But right. but the, you know, and part of it is because it probably should have been called scan pay and go. Um, but the, they left the pay part out. Um, <laughs> and uh so, but I do think the, uh, the, 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 uh, that bit of it is a challenge. So I think you got to work through the theft issues. And if you look at retail theft and what's happening, um, I, I just, uh, I, I think for a certain customer base and uh, is, it's really good. I personally like things like self-checkout, the seamless checkout with nothing, um, Definitely think it's going to get there. This is where Asia is out, out in front. I think you got to go look globally at what's happening and then start to model from there uh, and, and see where that ends up going. But you're right. The technology uh, pressure to pull that forward and make you've been working on FID yeah. technology since it came out. You know, you just think of the leaps and bounds of the whole thing has to be technically reinvented. And so I, I think it's uh, it's coming. I don't think it's going away. I think it, it, it hits certain segments. Others like the human touch, the human interaction. And for many people, um, of the, just the humanity of it, of shopping and grocery is so important to them. And so, yeah, I, I think it's, it'll be there for some, but it's, I don't think it's going to disrupt the mess. Yeah. Man, I can't, I can't thank you enough, Andy. That's, this is a great overview. Really, really helpful. Uh, we, we so much appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule, s certainly since you're not even in your kind of regular home office, but yeah. you've kind of rearranged your schedule to do this. So thank you so much for that. Pierce, 
Thank you. I hope I hope you have an incredible, successful career in the supply chain, friend. We, I'll guarantee you one thing: when Andy and I are no longer working, there will be plenty of things to work on. Let's just plan it that way. <laughs> yeah. so, yes, sir. I don't doubt it. Yeah. So, thank you both very much, and uh, have a great weekend. Take care. Thank yes, you, Mike. Thank See you, Pierce. Nice meeting you. Nice meeting you as well. Thank you for taking the time for this epic discussion. A special thanks to Mike Grain for leading the Retail Supply Chain Initiative. On behalf of the Walton SEMRC, we are delighted to lead with you as we learn, engage, address, and develop all things supply chain to lead the world of commerce from Northwest Arkansas. Have a great day.